Welcome to the Career Pod, brought to you by Transition Solutions. Your host for today's episode will be our founder and CEO, Mr. Fred Studley. My name is Fred Studley, and I'll be your host today. We're fortunate to have a discussion with James McDonough, who's had an interesting career, including a variety of leadership positions in community banking. He'll be taking us through his career and the decisions he made along the way. He'll talk about challenges in community banking, the role of CEO, COO in smaller banks, and offer very valuable career advice on how to build your personal brand. I hope you enjoy our discussion. So, Jim, uh, welcome today. Uh, welcome to CareerPod. Good to have you here. Right. I'm pleased to be with you. Good. Well, Jim, uh, why don't we just start in the beginning. If you could tell me a little bit about your earlier education, where you were brought up and in the schooling you had and, and some of your uh, influences that ultimately you'd say helped make your career decisions. Sure. Um, you know, moved to a town called Abington, Massachusetts in uh, my earliest days. Grew up as uh, one of seven kids, second youngest, and uh, influenced a lot by brothers and sisters and certainly mom and dad. And uh, had a great uh, childhood, a lot of laughter in the house, and, and um, uh, so, I, you know, it, it helped me to be grounded and helped me to understand the importance of family and community at a very, very early age. What, what, did, your fa- uh, what did your dad do as an occupation? My dad worked for uh, United Airlines for 40 years, okay. retired from there, uh, and I thought to myself, who would ever work at <laughs> one place for 40 years. Right. Well, it was my dad. All right. That's great. And how about schooling? Uh, where'd you go to school? So, Abington Public Schools, Abington High School. Uh, but then, um, in an interesting twist, um, as I approached graduation, I thought about entering uh, the seminary and, and did so. Uh, entered St. John's Seminary, uh, where I stayed for a year. And then, uh, I, I came to realize I was much too young to make uh, such a big decision. At uh, I was 17 when I joined the seminary, so I uh, decided to step away and see if, in fact, that was really where I uh, wanted to arise. Yeah. Funny, I later ended up working for the Catholic Church, and Cardinal O'Malley said to me uh, on my first day, you know, Jim, back in 1968, you understood that you had a vocation. You just hadn't figured out right. what that right. right vocation was, and I think this is it. Yeah, and, and clearly, uh, just reading from your biography, faith's got a big part in your life and also career. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, in terms of your your early jobs, were they in banking right from the get-go, or what? tell me a little bit about those so, graduate of Boston State College. After the seminary, I think I, I began to think of how else could I help uh, humankind. And quite frankly, I love to work with young people. And uh, so I, I directed myself towards an education uh, degree and, and became a, uh, a social studies teacher in the Weymouth Public Schools, uh, where I uh, taught seventh, eighth, and some ninth graders. Um, social studies, area studies, and history, and uh, coached football and, uh, and some baseball and had a, uh, a great time uh, for three years. And then I decided it was 
time for me to get serious about my life and had had an opportunity to work part-time in banking at Abington Savings Bank. And lo and behold, I was offered a job as a director of marketing, which I wasn't quite so sure uh, if that meant that I was going to get the groceries uh, right. or whatnot. But I knew uh, pretty quickly on I had a lot to learn. In in that uh, those first days, uh, what was it a new function? Did you replace a prior person? Was it relationship management, events? What what was the nature of the it, job? It was anything and everything. Okay. Uh, I'd replace someone who um, was very focused on media, and it was clear to me that that wasn't uh, the primary job. It, it, it we needed to. Uh, the, the president of the bank had done a tremendous job at growing the organization, uh, but they hadn't branched out. We're just in Abington at the time, and uh, we really owned the town of Abington, and I really spent a lot of time firming up those relationships, and uh, was easy for me. I was the local kid yeah. uh, who knew everybody in town and uh, was really uh, great fun. And then we began a, a process of growth, and we added an office in Halifax, a town I hadn't spent much time in, but certainly spent a lot of time there. And then uh, a few years later, an office in Kingston, and um, and we began to start uh, having some uh, decent growth. So it was a lot of fun. And then in those days, you know, somebody would leave a job, and I'd say, I'll do that too, you know, yeah. and, um, and they were happy to let you do it. So yeah. suddenly I became not just the marketing and PR person, but the retail per- the um, human resources person yep. and then um you know the person who ran the branches left and i said well, i can do that too and um and next thing you know um i mean it was it was a lot of work but it was a lot of learning too it was really a right. great opportunity to kind of figure out what is it that i really like doing right yeah a lot of uh less senior people uh in the early stage of their career are going to be listening to this and throughout many of these uh podcasts uh, the whole idea of uh, work ethic and working hard, and when you're done your work, you ask for more work, uh, kind of a basic, but it builds reputation, both internally and externally. And I guess that worked in your case, too. It did. You know, it's it's funny. I had a friend who um, I coached with who, uh, when I told him I was going into the business world, said, well, I can tell you the one piece of advice I've heard a couple of times is to spend the first two years at any new job outworking everyone in the place. Yeah. Uh, figure out who's the earliest person there and get there before them. Hmm. Figure out who's the last person there and leave after them. Right. And if you do that for two years, after that, you've built a personal brand that says, right. this guy's the hardest worker we've ever had here. Yeah. And I listened to that advice. In, in some ways, uh, uh, you know, if you look at your personality, the marketing role being outside, uh, having a lot of interpersonal connections with people, uh, not having uh, any resistance to that, was a good early job for you, too, because it, it's like hand in glove in yeah. that regard. It was fun. I mean, yeah. it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed getting out about uh, representing the bank, uh, public speaking a great deal. Um, it was a lot of fun. What was the most challenging part of that early part of your career? I, you know, learning the, you know, the, the whole uh, data and data analytics was, it was kind of a manual thing then, you know. So uh, trying to figure out 
who's your customer? It wasn't quite so easy as uh, it is today. When right. quite frankly, we can we can dial that up in about thirty seconds now. Yep. And um, you know, there's a lot of uh, slugging through signature cards and birth dates and trying to get a census to who represented your average typical customer so that you could direct your marketing uh, in, a, in a more scientific way. Right. A little bit later we'll talk about the technology and how that's impacted uh, banking and, and uh, who was, let's maybe take a snapshot, who was your customer, the profile of your customer back then in Abingdon Savings? Uh, was it the same customer you have now and it was just about different access, different services, or in fact it was a totally different person. So it was. It, it's a great question. Uh, really different uh, than than uh, here. It was, uh, you know, it was that uh, forty to sixty uh, age group. Um, you know, families with kids, buying homes, um, and uh, you know, middle America, uh, and uh, and a great group to deal with. Randolph, when I got here five years ago, uh, was largely people over the age of 65, the customer base. And one, mm. of the, one of the threats to community banks today is an aging customer base. Right. So we set out very quickly uh, to attack that aging problem, go after millennials, post-millennials, and, and, uh, and really attack that uh, customer segment. And we've had some really good success with that. Good. But it's it's simply about survival. It's, right. uh, you know, when I first got here, we would, you know, lose, uh, you know, someone would, would, would pass on and, and leave their million dollars in a CD to their kids. And their kids would, you know, w you know, all of a sudden the money was going off to different parts of the country and not staying here at uh, yeah. Envision Bank, you know. Right. So um, we knew we needed to attack that really yeah. quick. So that's a classic kind of turnaround requirement here for survival. Right. Okay. Uh, how about the role of mentoring? You've mentioned a couple people that gave you advice along the way. Uh, when you're in, you, you, let's say you're, you know, six years in at Abington, uh, who gave you advice? Did you have a board uh, that was particularly interested in your development? Or were there other people you've been active throughout your career in associations? Did you have mentors there? Or, uh, Maybe you didn't have mentors. I, I had a great uh, mentor um, who ultimately became my uh, closest friend and was the best man at our wedding, a uh, mm. guy by the name of Jack Riley from Abington who was the bank lawyer. Uh, strangely, as things work out, had also been um, my football coach in high school, my baseball coach in high school. Uh, Jack later went on to uh, law school uh, became one of the bank's attorneys and uh, was influential in my getting the job at Abington Savings Bank. And so, uh, and Jack became, uh, he was such a great teacher, um, not always answering your questions, but asking the right questions to make you think things through and right. uh, was, a, was a phenomenal supporter, mentor, and, uh, and an even better friend for a lot of years as I was at Abington. Right. Now, when you flip that around, is it something you've tried to model in your own uh, leadership? It, it, in fact, I think it's one of the most uh, critical roles that I perform here, um, particularly with the sort of the, the next level. Um, that's, that's an important group to me that as we try to develop folks. Um, I'm not a big uh, – cer I certainly respect the chain of command 
in terms of uh, the decision-making process, but not in terms of the communication process. Um, I dive into the organization, try to talk with uh, managers at all levels, people at all levels, really, because, um, you know, that's that's the best way to, to sort of, uh, you know, find out if things are going as you think they are. Right. Uh, it's never really quite uh, how you're being told things are going. Right. And, um, you know, I think it, it helps me to validate uh, the communication I receive at a high level. Hmm. Good. Uh, you, you mentioned this as one of your most important responsibilities. Just to give uh, the listeners a flavor of the, the role of a bank president, what, what half dozen things, three or four things, would you point to as your key responsibilities? So, you know, really uh, leadership and, and building a team. Um, single most important thing I do uh, beyond strategy. Um, you know, Fred, you and I are both readers, and uh, Forbes or Fortune had a great article, uh, Why... Um, why great leaders fail. And, um, and quite frankly, most often it's because of the talent that uh, they've surrounded themselves with right. and uh, their ability to listen and take criticism well and uh, and their ability to um, make hard decisions about people who aren't getting the job done. And um, I think um, I've been able to, um, wherever I've been, uh, develop a talented team uh, people of people who wanted to be accountable um, because I think accountability is so uh, yeah. so important and um, so that that to me is uh, job one in this role it's it's interesting because I am the CEO but I'm also the COO and um, that's not that's not easy when I was at Abington we had the size and the profitability right. to uh, to hire a COO was a great compliment to my skill set and um and i'm not sure i am as good at the coo role as i am at the ceo role it's always uh, a challenge to fit in both in a day and uh uh and to to be as good at one as i am at the other yeah i think one in general if i understand it right it may be different uh is more internally driven meaning you know, hence the name operations, uh, and then that CEO may be more external in development and strategy and so forth. So and customer work yeah. and um, you know and I, I uh, so we've we've developed strategies to to allow me to get more in, to stay tuned into our customers. We we bring them to us rather than us getting out to them yeah. one at a time we bring them in groups of 10 or 12 and quite frankly they've loved it here mm-hmm. uh, we bring uh, our business customers together and 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 share ideas and uh, you know and, and, and it, it's a great help to me to get me access to uh, groups of customers at a time but if you said to me what's the single most important uh, thing you do as a CEO it's it's talent development uh, at all levels of the company. We need to be uh, constantly uh, pushing people to, to, to reach for the next level, to provide them the tools they need to, uh, to learn more, to develop as, uh, as managers and leaders. And um, that, that uh, you know, we, we've got a, a solid HR person, but more importantly, we need uh, people leading our business lines 
that share that same philosophy, that want and will uh, work to develop the talent within their organization. Okay. Yeah, because you can't do it all. You, know, you have to spread that chatter to others. Um, how about the satisfaction? What's your biggest satisfier in the, in the job? It's, it's easy. I mean, I, I just, a uh, couple things. You know, internally, it's to see someone get promoted, uh, especially, you know, someone promoted from within who uh, has aspired for, for that promotion but has really uh, developed their skill set, their, their tools for the, for the job, and uh, to see them get to that next level and, and then to see them perform well. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great high for me to see it. And uh, we've had some people move around internally, and um, it's been great to see them fit in a new role and, and, uh, and to blossom. So um, that's cool. On the other side, we've, some of our greatest uh, thrills here are on the non-banking stuff. So, um, you know, we started our foundation in 2016 when we went public. We put $2 million of um, Envision Bank stock in the uh, foundation. That's worth $3 million now. Okay. And uh, just a week and a half ago, we were able to fly, uh, the bank paid to fly 60 veterans from Massachusetts, World War II and Korea veterans, um, to Washington, D.C. for a day. And That's we uh, spent the day visiting the World War II Memorial, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and a variety of other things. And brought them back uh, to a hero's welcome and a hero's send-off in the morning, too. Just a, uh, a great experience. It's one of the really neat things that businesses so often do um, that goes unnoticed a lot. But, uh, you know, there, is, there are just a lot of really big needs out there, yeah. and, uh, and it's a real neat uh, opportunity for businesses. Uh, you know, if you said to me, what am I most proud of in my entire career? It would be my relationship with the Cardinal Cushing School right. uh, back when I was with Abington Savings Bank and the impact we had on the lives of, of so many young folks who um, deserved a break. And um, it's something outside of banking, but yet, uh, you know, we were able to get a team of people. We had 300 people at the bank, and a couple hundred of them were very involved in our efforts at working with the kids from the Cardinal yeah, Christian School. For the benefit of listeners, the school, what is the school's chatter? What are they all about? The school is a, for developmentally delayed students and um, from the ages of about 6 to 22. Um, and my f favorite experience was graduation because you would hear consistently at a graduation that these are kids who weren't comfortable in any other social setting until they got to the Cardinal Cushing School and they realized how very special they were. And um, it, it never failed to amaze me how uh, how their self-esteem just, just spiraled. Yeah. Uh, uh, just did so well when uh, surrounded with others just like them who had the same challenges but uh, learned how to overcome those. That's great. Uh, the flip side is uh, all about frustration. And uh, uh, what are the frustrations of being generically a bank president, but maybe specifically in your cases, where, where have the frustrations been? It's, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, sometimes it's the market. Sometimes you make a mistake and hire. Um, you know, I think one of the toughest things, but one of the most important things you do is 
um, exit someone when it doesn't work. And uh, I've seen and been part of organizations that that didn't exit people, uh, and it became crippling to the organization, a real frustration for people who are working very hard but yet you know, are saddled by someone who isn't capable of or willing to perform right. at the level the organization needs. Yeah, and human resources is the old adage, you hire slowly and you fire quickly. In my lifetime, I've never been able to pull it off. You, you tend to you know, uh, hire quickly because you've got the need and you just get the most qualifiable person, or you hope, and uh, versus the, the one that's uh, assuring you of a best success. And the flip is also true. The only mistakes I've made when hiring people is when I've rushed yeah. and lost patience because I thought I needed to fill the job. Right. And invariably, yeah. those have been, uh, you know, and it's not fair uh, to the person you bring in, nor is it uh, fair to the organization that you lead. Now, you've had the opportunity to work in a larger organization uh, with one job, not two jobs, as you mentioned. And that may be frustrating because now you're in a smaller environment with smaller budgets, fewer people to rely on to help, you know, expedite activities. Uh, you're hands-on a lot more than you were. Uh, so how's that? Does uh, that meet a level of frustration or is it just reality? Well, it's reality, but I can't say it's not without some frustration. Yeah. Right. Um, when I uh, think of the things I would like to be doing outside but that I can't always get to because of the responsibilities internally, um, you know, you, you wish you had uh, you know, 80 hours in a day, I think, uh, in a week. But, um, you know, I, I work a lot of hours, and um, still uh, it, it's not enough to do the two jobs really, really uh, – well, right. Well, I, I tease the audience about technology, and we ought to get into that now. It's amazing. Uh, now, I've gone to banks as well as many of the listeners, and you go to some banks, and it's a coffee shop, and you can do your banking in there. You go to some banks, and they don't have tellers, or they may have one teller and a whole lot of kiosks for you to stumble through. Uh, and there's more change ahead, I suspect. So how has the technology changed? Uh, maybe give us a couple examples of the old days and maybe the current times, but uh, what impact has it had uh, on your job as bank president? Well, there was a day the only way you could get into the payment system was through a bank, and um, that's changed right. uh, forever, I think. But, um, I, I, you know, it's, it's not a – I mean, it's nothing but good. Um, it allows us to be more efficient. Um, we have greater access to data about our customers, um, which without technology we wouldn't have that uh, at our fingertips as it is today. Um, we can provide more services, better services. Who doesn't like the idea of uh, depositing a check uh, by taking a picture and uh, mm -hmm. sending it to your bank instead of having to drive to the bank? Mm -hmm. um, the consequence of that is you don't get as many opportunities to meet and know your customer, right. uh, which is a core strength of a community bank. So um, we need to take advantage of every single interaction we get on a personal level, whether it's by phone or whether it's in person. Um, you know, we, we need and we have trained folks to be much better at that. But 
I think the 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 increased technology is uh, is, is all good because at the end of the day we're looking for a customer that gets to do a transaction easy, simple, and fast, um, and quite frankly, very efficiently. So it's not uh, something that costs them or us uh, a lot of money. Yeah. I guess the tension is, though, banking has always been personal banking, and you, you built the whole industry brand with that in mind, and it, it, it obviously is worth sustaining, uh, and that's in opposition to the speed and efficiency in your interaction uh, won't be personal. It'll be with the machine or it'll be remote, uh, and to your point, that lessens the kind of impact of uh, uh, the person servicing the uh, customer. So, I think that's true to a point. Yeah. Um, I, I often say when someone says, why should I go to you versus this giant bank? And I very honestly say, Ask me that question when you hit your first bump in the road, mm. when you hit your, have your first problem. I, I was at a, a, a meeting with our community advisory board, and someone asked me the question, how could you possibly compete against Rocket Mortgage? Um, and I said, well, rather than me ask, answer that question, let me ask uh, Fred Utatis, who was a very successful residential uh, a real estate broker in the Stoughton market. And uh, and Fred said, you know, I, I recommend people go to see Ron Stroop, who uh, at that time was with a company called First Eastern, which we bought. Uh, and he said, and I ended up having two loans go to big mortgage companies like that, so-called electronic operations. Both of them blew up towards the end of the deal. Ron Stroop came in, met with both individuals, got the loans closed in time. You know, my my uh, my experience says, you know, we compete best with the atypical uh, solution, and and most often in real estate, something happens yeah. on the uh, on a mortgage application or even a commercial uh, deal, right. um, and that's I think at a time when you need and you're better off with someone who you can meet, talk to, converse with at a, on a, a very personal level. Uh, to get the deal done. Okay. Now, do your uh, banking people have tablets now? Are they still behind a, oh, yeah. a we, counter? We, we take um, we we take well mortgage applications. Most most of the applications come to us online. We, we right. talk to the customer. We meet with the customer. They'll submit that which they can handle online. They'll get and we'll 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 hustle after the rest. But uh, in our branches. Uh, you know, you, you meet with a person. All our branches are staffed. We don't have any uh, kiosk replacing people. That's right. that's not where we want to be at this point. We really mm -hmm. want the customer interaction. We want to get to know the customer. And um, there, there's a lot of uh, experimentation with kiosks. A lot of use a kiosk by larger banks, but that, that sort of gives up for me and what we think. It sort of gives up our competitive advantage. Sure is the, the people that have the expertise and uh, our customer wants to meet with them. Okay. How about your personal technology? Uh, do you have an Android, an iPhone? Do you have, have an a laptop? iPhone, iPad, iPad and, um, kind of you know, desktop. Okay. Um, 
they've you know it's funny I've had to adapt a lot you know and uh, I'm not someone who um, dive on board but I'm, I'm adaptable and I've yeah. had to be and over my the course of my career um, you know you've had to learn a lot of things and um, I love to learn the newest the latest I love to utilize technology um, and you know given the nature of our business yeah. uh, I need to understand uh, Data security and and how we can when you know the the how we can effectively guard our customers' personal information from uh, people from the outside who might want to grab it sure. and uh, and while I'm not a guy who's going to get into the bits and bytes, I certainly understand information security and the principles behind that and uh, yeah. mm. how critical that is to people having confidence in us. In particularly in banking, you know, it's absolutely it, it, financial it, services. It's yeah. a big, big deal. No doubt about it. Uh, in rank order, uh, if you had a choice of communicating with someone, would it be a text message, a telephone call, or a face-to-face? Given the time, I'd love to have those all with people face-to-face. Um, but I'm a, I'm a big text user. I mm-hmm. uh, my cell phone number is on my card. I get texts from customers fairly regularly and um, I, I tend to adapt to a person's style if someone sure. calls me I call them back if someone yeah. texts me I text them back so you mirror whatever um, they're doing yeah, yeah whatever works best for them and uh, we have some builders developers that uh, prefer to text right. and it's quicker they're um, you know hopefully not driving but they're uh, um, you know but I also um, you know am, am uh, quick to jump on the phone if somebody's question from the text or the email um, is a little complicated for a quick you know 15 word answer I just quickly jump on the phone and 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 one of the great benefits today is it's so easy to reach people right you know we're all accessible uh, it's awesome yeah now uh, you've made some job changes you've had a a couple callings in your life you know the combination of leaving Abington was that a change in control environment? Yep. Then bank was sold, and yep. um, uh, and suddenly I looked around and said, "Yeah, where do I go in the morning?" Yeah. You know, and then made a decision to to to, to not jump into another job right. right away. So you retired, and what was the least the initial thought? I would uh, walk the dog. I would take up golf in earnest. What was the plan initially? Uh, the plan was just actually this. Uh, get a focus on my health Um, a lot of things were undone at home Um, I'd been hanging Venetian blinds and I you know never went back to take the extra slats to the bottom Um, attention to detail I can expect this is very good it was on a it was on a a list that uh, had been prepared for a long time and uh, and once that list got pulled out I thought maybe it's time for me to start looking for a job. Right. And how did the archdiocese uh, opportunity present itself? Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I, and what is the position, I, I should so say? So the job was chancellor at the Archdiocese of Boston, uh, and I was in contact with a couple people who I stay in contact with a lot of people, you know, uh, whether you're working or not. Um, I just like people. And um, so I was at a breakfast with a couple of board members, and one of them mentioned she was on the search committee for um, 
the, the position of chancellor of the Archdiocese of Boston, which was like the chief financial officer as well as chief administrative officer. And uh, um, I was intrigued by Cardinal O'Malley and, uh, you know, had my prior vocation thoughts and uh, threw my hat in the ring. And next thing you know, I'm uh, the chancellor of the Archdiocese of Boston and uh, a job that had far more challenges than I'd ever uh, imagined. Um, but I can say um, I loved and enjoyed working for mm. Cardinal O'Malley and Father Richard Erickson, the moderator of the Coria, or what they call the Vicar General, um, two, um, two great priests, but two great men, too, who mm -hmm. um, had such integrity and um, they were uh, a joy to work with and um, people who made me better by being around them. Right. Well, that's good. Uh, all of our supervisors should carry mm. that. Uh, in terms of what key accomplishment uh, are you most proud of while you were there? I think um, to, to create some uh, sense of structure around uh, decision-making, budgeting, uh, and uh, creating a sense of financial stability after uh, a long time of instability. Right. And how long were you in that job? Six so, years. Six years. So that was a good tenure and you left immediately come here or you another standard retirement left and um uh shortly after i um i left the archdiocese i was approached about the job at randolph we were able to come together and um okay and it's been a it's been a great five-year run so far so. you know just in broad strokes if you look back on your career uh, anything you would have done differently in, in retrospect i look back i i would have uh, probably been helped had I gotten some more formal education. Would have loved to have gotten an MBA. Didn't get an MBA. There wasn't a lot of time as that process right. went along, and uh, the jobs were pretty meaningful, And uh, but I, it would have been a help. As you look at your contemporaries and positions that exist in senior financial services, does an advanced degree help a person? A lot of uh, community bank leaders don't have um, advanced degrees but I, I I think that uh, 10 years 15 years from now that'll all change and I think we'll see more and more of the leaders in the financial services particularly community bank arena that uh, might not have valued that I think you're going to see that it's going to be a very different approach right and then uh, the issue of uh, women in banking women uh, uh, in all occupational groups uh, as well as diversity what what is going on in banking that you've observed over the last decade or so in that regard? So I've always had some pretty senior people um, in both at both Abington and now um, here. Um, some of the most uh, capable folks I've met happen to be uh, women, and um, been quick to promote them when when it was earned, and um, so. You know, it's an industry that hasn't always looked like that. I can remember back in the, um, uh, well, a long time ago, but uh, the early 80s, walking to a meeting when Carol Greenwald was the commissioner of banks, and, and uh, Commissioner Greenwald was very outspoken about um, the lack of diversity in the banking industry. And uh, we were in a room with uh, 200 people, and I think there were six women, right. and these were senior execs, and uh, 
six women and uh, and there were no people of color in the room. Right. And she blasted the group. Hmm. Um, and a, it was her style, I guess. And yep. uh, but it was it was a way of saying, um, don't you think it's time for a change? And with a group that was pretty reluctant to change. Yeah. And you just. Uh, from observation, as I live my life, you see a lot more diversity in banking now. It it mirrors their customer base yes. has yes. changed so dramatically. Uh, how about the role of luck uh, in a career? And yours, you can have no. I have to set this up because I'm not picturing you going to a casino and just flat out have good luck or bad luck. It's sometimes you have to be in the right place to have good luck happen. Uh, you know, so what what would you say about did luck play a part in your career? So I've never won more than twenty dollars on a scratch okay, ticket. Okay, so yeah. so I'm not a lucky guy. But I would tell you, from a career perspective, I've had uh, some great luck, primarily uh, on the area of t- in the area of timing. Hmm. I have just come along. Um, opportunities have presented themselves at just the right time for me on several occasions. This one, uh, the, the, uh, the role at the church, just happened to be looking for a mission-driven uh, role, and suddenly that job opened up. Um, Abington, I ended up as president um, uh, when uh, someone else had to suddenly leave the bank, and they looked around and said, who else is there? Well, I guess we'll have to give it to him. And Timing has been, and, and I consider that to be, you need to be prepared. Yeah. Um, but you can, a lot of people have been prepared and never had the opportunity open up for them. Right. I've been very blessed that opportunities have opened up for me at the right time. Um, yeah, I, I think it's not a passive thing. I think uh, uh, if... If you hadn't developed the work ethic you talked about before, you wouldn't have created the internal and external reputation that would have made you uh, uh, a candidate before your time. Uh, The same thing goes with the archdiocese. Uh, Warren Buffett bumped into Bill Gates because they happened to go to the same conference. And they happened to decide to go walk across this quadrangle, and they met in the middle. And they got into a long discussion, which led to a, a long and uh, mutually beneficial friendship. So sometimes you have to do something to make good luck happen. Now, bad luck? Any bad luck? Not, not really. I mean, I, I think you know market movements at different times uh, haven't been helpful. But those yeah. are that's a the nature of business and I think you have to be able to learn to deal with those uh, changes in a market uh, uh, you know re- recessions not not always timed as well uh, as you'd like but the, yeah. you have to deal with that you learn from that and uh, and uh, I've been blessed by not making the same mistakes hmm. twice good uh, a little whimsy here if you weren't in banking what would you have done anything you run off and join the circus what what would you have might might have done so it's interesting one day i was uh, driving cardinal o'malley home and uh said to him so what would be a dream job you know and he uh 
he wanted to be a missionary in some remote outpost hmm. uh, that um, made it simple to live right. a very uh, Spartan life. Right. Um, I said, and he said, you know, of course he then asked, what about you? And I said, <laughs> general manager of the Boston Red Sox. There you and, go. Uh, All right. And now I guess you'd have to call president of baseball operations. And, right. Uh, um, well, it depends on which decade you right, want to be the right, general manager, right. probably. Um, yeah. But, you know, certainly would love the uh, the challenge, the, uh, the personnel issues, mm. uh, the analytics, uh, the judgment, um, you know, who who's right, who's wrong. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't have signed Pablo Sandoval, I can tell you that. There you go. All right, good. <laughs> All the Boston Red Sox fans, I think the Yankee fans may have a different opinion there. Uh, and then advice to uh, others coming up. Uh, and why don't we have anything specific to the banking industry and then maybe a, a general piece of advice? So I think um, self-awareness is a huge issue. Um, as you look to plot your course and... Uh, and uh, want to lay that career plan in place. It's a few things you you need to understand about yourself. And if you're not self-aware, that's tough. It's tough mm-hmm. to do. And uh, so I think figure out what it is you really like, what it is you really good at, uh, what motivates you, what drives you. If you can figure those things out from that self-awareness, that's a big help. Uh, you know, to me... Um, you know, we have people here that are not outgoing. And they're in analytical positions and uh, in financial positions, and um, and they are and they are and and can continue to be very very successful. Um, we have people that are outgoing and they're in sales roles. Um, you know, so I think it's first and foremost as you get into finance, it's you know understanding you. What makes you feel good? What do you like to do? What motivates you? What's going to make you, at the end of the day, happy? You know, if you, I've often, I've often say to people, if you, um, you know, if given the choice, I would have been born to money. Hmm. Well, Edinburgh didn't uh, give me that <laughs> choice. You know, there were seven of us, and uh, man, they made. Where, where were you in the birth order? Where were you? Second to youngest. Uh, uh, yeah. oh. But man, they gave us a great upbringing. But. So I knew I was going to have to work for a living at okay. a pretty early age, you know, and um, and I decided I was going to do something I liked, something I enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and it's so um, it's so important. I often will meet with our team and and uh, particularly in small groups, and I always say to people, listen, if you're not happy, you know, if it's something we're doing, talk to me because we right. want to fix that. Yeah. And and try to make you happy and make you feel good about coming here every day. But if it's not us, it's you. You know, I encourage you to look somewhere else right. to find what it is that's going to make you feel good at the end of the day. Yeah, it just uh, a couple comments on that because I think it's very important to have job satisfaction. And and as you look at your population and the population in general, you've got quite a diverse grouping. You've got upwardly mobile, uh, you know, continuous learning people, and any. Uh, feeder system needs those people and then you've got other people that uh, they want the variety 
they so you move those folks sideways. They select those opportunities that grow their their knowledge, but they don't want uh, maybe that level of accountability and pressure. There are a third group, and their life is outside of work. They manage a, a softball league, which in the league it takes a lot of time, and they want work to be a means to an end. And I think for those people, sometimes they can get into a pressurized situation where we try, we walk by them every day and we say, hey, Bill, we, let's, let's do, come on in here. We want to give you another position. Well, Bill or Mary, they want to stay in that same position because they don't want the overtime, they don't want the pressure uh, of competing with their elder care challenges or their want to do certain things with their kids. And it's a different model and it has a different outcome. Uh, so I think for the listeners, uh, clearly being happy, being satisfied is key in knowing yourself, having self-awareness. Uh, it starts with that. It may take uh, a number of years to really become fully self-aware. Uh, family sometimes can push us into a situation or necessity can, uh, financial or, or otherwise. So that that's good exchange there. How about, I assume, on a 1 to 10 scale, I think we're heading towards the 10 in terms of your satisfaction? I'm, I'm right there. Um, you know, life is, uh, life is a gift. We get a we get choices all along the way, and uh, you know, with a little luck, um, you know, I think uh, hard work, um, a willingness to be good to people, gets you a long way. Okay. Uh, now you've told me a couple stories. This, uh, I don't know if there's one more story uh, that you want to talk about in terms of just. It may not have anything to do with banking, but I, I suspect you've told a story or two in your time. Is the one you'd like to share with the audience? Or so one of my uh, my favorite stories, I go back to my days with Cardinal Cushing, and uh, we were first involved um, with the school uh, when I was asked by Dick Cole, a longtime teacher at the school, to help provide a, a class trip for the students at age 22 when they needed to graduate from the school. And they'd never had any such thing, and many of the Kids didn't have a lot of family support, didn't come from well-to-do families, and uh, so most of the kids had never been on a plane, stayed in a hotel, and most of them had never been to Disney World. So Dick thought it would be a great idea if he could find someone who help, would help pay for that. Well, we couldn't afford to, the bank couldn't afford the whole thing. So we, but I said, we'll, we'll raise the money. So, um, so part of the process was uh, we got to talk with and meet the, that year, I think it was about 20 students who would be making this trip. And Dick talked to this young man and said, um, do you know what this means? No, nope. he said, it means you're going to get on an airplane you know, and take off and, and we're going to fly down to Disney World. We're going to land at an airport, drive over to Disney. You'll be able to go to your room and order room service. Well, this young man said, what's that? And he said, you can order whatever you want. Uh, and this kid said, ah, Dick, you're pulling my leg. I don't believe it. He said, well, you'll see. And I 
first yeah. day, I get a call from uh, Dick Cole who said, Billy, uh, I think still can't believe it. He got to his room. It was 11.30 in the morning. Call, picked up the phone uh, and uh, cheeseburger, large fries, and a large Coke. And uh, they brought it right to the room, and he said to the person who brought it, can I eat this on my bed? She said, anywhere you want. And uh, That's great. Well, he uh, was one of the great moments yeah. of my life to know right. that I was one of the people who was able to provide this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for some really, really special young people. And, well. uh, and I've never forgotten that story from Dick. And, um, and I then heard it firsthand from that young man who talked about it and said, you wouldn't have believed they really let you do this. <laughs> well, that's yeah. great. Well, Jim McDonough, thanks for joining us in CareerPod, and, and thanks for sharing that story. That uh, was very touching. My Thank pleasure, you. Fred. All right, good enough. Take care now. <laughs>